If it be the blessing of God, we understand that 51 opportunities on the first day of the week this year will follow this one, but this is the first of the calendar year 2024. We've each been blessed with health and other capacities of life to assemble today, and it's our heartfelt wish that we can adore the name of God, to extol to Him the nature of the worship that we would wish to direct His way. Inasmuch as worship is acts of reverence directed to Him, we revere Him, we love Him, and we wish today to worship Him, and isn't it good that we've been able to come together today? It is the case, you can see on the slide, I chose this title. Why do we worship and serve Him? What opportunities and considerations of reason might there be? I would hope that we could begin that lesson with this little statement of introduction. I think we'd all agree that as we consider the matters of our life, it is important to at least address the reasonings for what we do. Sometimes the reasons are great, and sometimes our reasons aren't so good. But today, why don't you and I spend a few minutes on this first Sunday of 2024 and quite literally look at several things in the Bible and ask, why, why do we choose to serve Him and worship Him? I think that as you and I study this, we not only will be motivated and we will find incentive and encouragement in it, but it will help guide us in our thinking and help us appreciate how sweet it is and how important it is and the priority that goes with serving Him. Well, when I first begin with these thoughts, I thought I'd start by noting some allegations that men often make. I'm sure you have heard, at least in some ways, some of these, but these charges against God are very disturbing, and these allegations are very much problematic. But these are some of what you may have heard. There are some who say, well, that God that you seemingly serve and worship, He's a great God. Why does He need me to serve Him? If He's so great, what point is there in that? Others will say, well, that God that you serve and worship, He demands you obey Him? That seems awful petty. You mean He can't put up with a little bit of choice, of opinion, other than what He wants? It's His way or no way? That certainly seems awfully narrow-minded. Others have say, perhaps said it like this, that God you serve, He sure seems to have a big ego. He can't put up with any direction of service any way but His. He sure does have to be flattered, and He sure does have to have all the attention. That certainly seems like a selfish God to me. You can begin to see what some people have charged God with. As great as He is, why does He need my service? Why is he in such a position he can't tolerate any direction any way but his? How would you answer that? Could I offer the thought, why do you and I worship him? There have even been some who've said, if that's the way God is, I don't want to worship him. And I don't want to serve him. I hope you and I can spend a few moments and set conditions and discussions like that to rest and honestly give some appreciation. What are some reasons as to why you and I not only serve Him, but we want to serve Him, and we delight to serve Him, and we find a great deal of encouragement in worshiping Him? Could I point out to you those questions I've already raised are actually found in the Bible. Could I read to you Malachi chapter 3, verse 14? 
if I may take just a moment and set a bit of background as to the nature of that chapter as well as that book, it could in fact provide a bit of benefit to us as we think about the circumstances that prompted the question. After the people of Israel came back from captivity, they lived in that particular place, having reconstructed the temple, and they lived there for a number of decades, but finally in the days of Malachi, God directed the prophet to come to them, and he challenged them. He challenged them because their service was not heartfelt anymore. They were going through the motions. Service to God had become a habit and nothing more. In that kind of context, beginning in verse 13 of Malachi 3, God, speaking through the prophet, asked them this, "'Your words have been styled against me, saith the Lord.' Yet you say, what have we spoken so much against thee? And now note verse 14. Ye have said, it is vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept the ordinance, that we have walked mourning before the Lord of hosts? Do you notice? They were beginning to reach the point of asking the question, what point is there in serving Him like these people that say God has an ego? And these people who assert that he has to be flattered and have all the attention, well, what point is there in serving a God like that? You can notice some of the people in Malachi's day had stooped to thinking perhaps along similar lines. What you and I shall do over the next few moments today, why don't we allow the rest of the Bible to speak and reflect upon and settle in our heart, why? Why are we committed to serving Him? And why are we committed to worshiping Him? Reason number one. Because it's the right thing to do. I hinted at it earlier in the lesson today, but let's develop it by way of a little bit more of elaboration. This God that you and I appreciate and love so much, He is great. Psalm 95 verse 3 says, He's God of gods and He is the King of all gods. Jeremiah 32, 17 says that his right arm is of sufficient strength that nobody in any nation is able to stand before him. His will is absolute. To continue that line of thinking, why don't you and I pause for a moment to give some thought to that which he has accomplished. In Exodus 20, verse number 11, in that reflective passage on the creation, for the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is in six days. In other words, you and I can be so impressed by this universe in which we live. And just a moment ago, Brother Wayne remarked even in prayer as to the exquisite character of this universe. And isn't it true? It's vast. And isn't it true? It's remarkable. And isn't it true? It is utterly fascinating. But may I say, not only is that true with regard to the universe at large, it's true of earth. The characteristics of the various systems of earth and the human body in the marvel of its wonder. In Psalm 139, verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. In other words, God is great, and He deserves our worship because of that greatness. On that slide, I've invited you to think of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. 
in the opening presentation of that New Testament passage, we read that God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. And then He gives this description. Whom He appointed heir of all things, and by whom also He made the worlds, and He upholds all things by the word of His power. Could I impress upon each of us the present tense thrust of that latter portion? He upholds it. It's not that at some distant point in the past He created the universe and wound it up like a clock and He just stands by and watches it from a distance. He upholds it every moment of every day, making sure that the systems operate in the way that is in the betterment of the human family understanding that that upholding character is the feature that's needful for the ongoing issues of our life and for the matters in which we engage. He upholds it. Paul would say in Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, that it is in that circumstance that in Him the entire world consists. It's held together. It's bound together in the operable whole in which it is. God is able to do that, and He does do it. And for that alone, He deserves our worship and our praise and our honor, and He deserves our service. Given His greatness, I've invited you to notice verses like Malachi 1, verse 6. I asked you to notice a moment ago, Malachi 3, 14. Just turn back two chapters. In that particular place, it says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I then be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? So God says, in the same way a son will honor his father and a servant will honor his master, if I'm the God of heaven, where is my fear? Where is my service? And thus, one of the reasons you and I have every right to worship and serve Him is because of His greatness and because He is deserving of it. In fact, in Malachi 3.18, the closing verse to that chapter you and I have already noted, it says, Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. You see, it really is an impressive line of marking. There are those who will serve the God of heaven and those that won't. In that chapter, we've already learned those that want are those who do not desire to serve and worship Him and they do not appreciate His greatness. And yet, because we appreciate it, one natural reaction should be our service. Let's close that slide like this. Did Jesus echo that sentiment when He said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. That's echoed in Luke 4. But reason number one has been... You and I serve and worship Him because it's the right thing to do. He deserves it. What about reason number two? It's not only the right thing because He deserves it. It's the right thing because of what's better. It's the right thing because of what's better. These thoughts that follow invite you to consider what the Bible has to say in this way. Wouldn't we all agree that mankind so often chooses the way that's not good? It's the way of sin. 
In fact, we have all chosen it at one time or another. Romans 3.23 reminds us about this truth. There's no man that sinneth not. It is true, all have selected the pathway of unrighteousness, Romans 3 verse 10. Surely in that light of Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And would you pause for just a moment to think about what the consequences of sin are? Isn't our world ugly because of sin? We see things like murder. We see things like fornication. We see the hurt that arises in families. We see things that run rampant like jealousy, envy. We see characteristics connected to, shall we say, uncleanness in so many ways. Look at what sin causes. That's what the world will bring. But yet you and I know there's a better way than that a much richer, a much more peaceful. You'll notice on that slide that isn't it true? Sin is dark. It's ugly. It's shameful. It's hurtful. Ephesians 5 verse 11 says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Darkness is connected to sinfulness. Not only that, you and I should never forget Jeremiah 3.25. We lie down in our shame, and our confusion covereth us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God. We in our youth, from our youth to this day, have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Did you notice in that very context, sin is hand in hand with confusion. We live in a world so confused because of sin. People don't know if they're a boy or a girl. People don't understand the qualifications that proceed with the characteristic ways of a family. Confused on the most basic matters of understanding. Isn't it interesting in all that light too? Some in our world don't know what marriage is anymore. They think that somehow God looks with favor upon men marrying men or women with women. And they have been led in their scholarly appreciation to reach a conclusion when all the while, that's not a lifestyle, it's a death style. It's a way of life that's not in harmony and in keeping with the revelation of the God of heaven. Sin brings confusion. And it brings, again, what Jeremiah 3.25 describes as disgracefulness. On that slide, isn't it true that serving God is a better way? Worshiping God is a better way than that. Hebrews 6 verse 9 says, I am persuaded better things of you. The God of heaven through the Hebrew writer could assert that although the world may behave in various ways, I am persuaded he would write better things of you. Is it any wonder then that in the word of God and in the pursuit and worship of God, we don't find emphasis upon those ugly things? We find God teaching of a better way, a way of sacrifice and truth and love. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, reads John 8, 32. We find that unsurpassed way of love and beholding the betterment of others. Matthew 7, 12 reads, Doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. You see, the world teaches of selfishness. 
the world teaches of the uniqueness of one's own way and pursuing that regardless of its impact upon others. And yet the Word of God says, looking on others better than yourself, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Is it any wonder that in the way of God is better than the way of the world? And may I point out that Jesus Himself put it like this, as simply as this. You cannot serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other. You'll hold to the one, you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon, reads Matthew 6, 24. And therefore, when it comes to the masters of life, and there will always be one, we have the option to choose the better one, God, and devote our service and worship to Him. That slide closes with three observations found from various places in the Word of God. First, the Roman epistle. In Romans 6, verse 6, consider this with me. One of the matters you and I highlight so sweetly when it comes to baptism is the understanding of the washing away of sins. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It is in baptism that sins are washed away, regardless what they've been. A man might have been a murderer. And yet, if in truth and in actual obedience to the gospel, that man can be forgiven of every murder he ever committed, because the Bible says so. Now, he may have to spend his life in prison and might even be put to death because of the murders he committed, but he could die faithful to the Lord. A man could have committed crimes of sexual character against adults or children, but he could be forgiven of it. Every one of them. A man could be extremely improper as a husband, treating his wife and his children in ways that are not right in any regard. But he could be forgiven of it. It is amazing what baptism can accomplish, what it does accomplish. But may we never overlook this. Romans 6, verses 5 and 6 describe that that person who submits to baptism rises to walk in newness of life. I mentioned about that man who may have been a murderer, may have been guilty of any number of activities, but upon forgiveness, he has repented and he is not that man anymore. He's no longer that murderer, no longer that kidnapper, that person who's engaged in those activities. Not only were they forgiven, he is not that anymore. He's now walking in newness of life. Notice again the better way. We serve the God of heaven because we want that better way. We want to be better wives and better husbands, better mothers and better fathers, better employers and better employees, and the way of the Lord will provide that. We serve and worship God because He deserves it. That's true. But we serve and worship Him because it's better for us. We seek that better way. Let's close that slide by noting 1 Corinthians 11.1. Be ye followers of me, Paul would write, as I follow the Lord. And thus we follow the one who preceded us, Jesus the Christ. He lived on this planet, never committed a single sin, Hebrews 4.15. And thus, as we seek to imitate Him, we thus seek to become better people. What's a third reason? We've learned two already. What about this one? 
Not only do we worship and serve God because He deserves it, not only do we worship and serve Him because it's the better way, may I invite you to consider the concept of prospectiveness, looking into the future. I'm going to start by calling to your attention John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. There is something about an abundant life of which the Lord spoke. A life that's described with abundance. May I point out to you that does not simply involve materialistic gain. Oh, I know God sometimes blesses people with a lot of wealth, money, possessions, things like that. But the abundant life is not that. An abundant life goes far beyond it. It's a life of contentment a life of joy, a life deep-seated in what's beyond the matters of this life. You and I know quite well this life is but 70, 80, 90 years, and then it's over. There's a whole eternity of existence yet to come. When you and I think about prospectiveness, we surely must in wisdom think somewhat about that. What's going to happen when my time here is done? That might not be that long for me, you know. might not be that long for you. But whenever it happens, what about what happens after it? One second after I'm gone, body not even cold yet, what about then? And that's only the beginning of all of that which follows it. Would it not be wise? Would it not be terribly wise to give thought to, what about then? So many things can occupy our attention in thinking here. Our jobs, the obligations connected to our families and otherwise. And we appreciate the duty that goes with them. And not only that, we give thought to various other things that bring enjoyment to life. Some like fishing and golf and some like activities, be it basketball or otherwise. And we enjoy those things. But what after I'm dead? Don't you want to enjoy that too? Surely we do. And that means we have to make preparation and look forward and make sure that we're prepared for that arena of existence. What is it going to be for me and you? Serving God is what will make that true. Serving in the world will not get you ready for eternity. The devil doesn't want you or me ever to think about that. You live your life, he would say, enjoy it now and live it up. Acts 17, verses 5 and 6. But you and I know in wisdom we need to think about then. What's that going to be like? For that reason, on that slide, I've asked you to consider this. Second Peter 3.11 asks this haunting question. Seeing then that all these things should be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? in all holy conversation and godliness. Peter said, you know what? This earth and everything in it is going to be burned up. Should you not live so that your value is not connected to that sort of thing? Absolutely, that's wise. And so another reason why you and I serve and worship Him is we, we want to be ready for eternity looking forward. 
isn't it true on that slide, I've challenged each of us to think about Colossians 3.24. We know quite well then that as you and I seek to serve the Lord, we know that that service to Him is something that will lead to an eternal reward. That's what the Bible says. We serve Him now with the anticipation, the expectation of what shall follow beyond. These reasons we've seen so far have truly been interesting. They've truly been thought-provoking. What about reason number four? You may recall the lesson text that was read earlier in our hearing today, taking us to 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. May I suggest we look at this one as well. We serve and worship Him because He deserves it. We serve and worship Him because that is the better way of existence in life. We serve and worship Him because we want to be ready for the existence beyond death. But what about His love? We love Him because He first loved us. We love Him because He first loved us. You see, God first directed His attention and His love for us. Have you ever given thought? to some of those thoughts we mentioned at the outset of the lesson. This universe is amazing. In astronomy and physics, you and I can learn about how that this universe is multiplied millions of light years in size, filled with untold numbers of stars and galaxies and celestial objects, and the impressiveness blows our mind. And God made all of it. But yet there's something far greater than all of that. And it's those of us sitting in these pews. The human being. God didn't die for planets. Jesus didn't die for black holes and stars and suns in the universe. He died for people. He died for you and me. And every one of us was worth it. He died for every one of us. He loved us, and in reciprocation, ought not we love Him? Ought not we serve Him, worship Him, direct attention to Him? Psalm 116, verse number 12, asks this question, What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits toward me? God has been good to every one of us. Should we not, in reciprocation, serve and worship Him? Hebrews 12, verse 28, states that there should be a great interest and desire on your part and mine that we would acceptably direct our service to Him with reverence and godly fear. In that context, he's discussing about the church and how that you and I take it as a great privilege and a great prerogative that we direct in godly fear and reverence our service to Him. That's exactly what we're discussing today. John 12, verse number 26. In the words of Jesus, He Himself said, If any man follow me, he will serve me, and I will honor him in appearance before my Father. All of that should help us close that slide in the way I've underlined it. I thought that that would be a fitting way to draw somewhat this lesson to a conclusion. We worship and serve God not so much because He needs it, because we need it. 
We worship and serve Him because we need it. It makes us better people. It puts us in a better scenario in which we can be a blessing to His kingdom and cause. We need it. And so I hope that we will always take a great deal of consideration relative to the seriousness and importance connected to those occasions of worship and service to Him. I hope each of us will make plans to be back tonight at 5.30 when another opportunity is ours. To be here at 7 o'clock Wednesday at all possible because another opportunity is ours. And those opportunities, even if they encompassed every moment of the week, they wouldn't be enough in return to what He's done for us. But yet we have been given them. And we delight in them. And yea, the other moments of life in which we can serve Him as we behave in the way that He would encourage and the way that He would ask of us. Let's close this lesson then in this way. Why do we worship and serve Him? First, it's right because He deserves it. Secondly, it's right because it's the better thing about existence. Thirdly, we've learned it is the only way to be prepared in prospect for eternity. And finally, we love Him because He first loved us. It's the proper response to what He's done. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, verse 16. It's true then that you and I look with great joy on those occasions of service and worship to Him. Today, as you analyze your life, if you find things amiss, things that are such that at this moment all is not well with your soul, it could be that you have never obeyed the sweet name of Jesus as your Savior. You've heard about the gospel. You know that the Lord died for you, but it's never sunk in as to the significance of it. But maybe as of today, it has. We want you to know that this congregation of people love you. Jesus loves you. And He so much wants you to be with Him for eternity. You need to be a Christian. You need to repent of your sins after you believe in Jesus. You need to confess His name as the Son of God and to be buried in baptism. It's at that moment those sins are washed away. You rise from that watery grave, pure and whole and clean. A new beginning it will be. May I say, though, that if you have known what kind of new beginning that is, but over time you've begun to make choices and decisions, and you have become embroiled into a life of sin, don't stay there. Don't remain in that place. Don't you want to be back to where you can serve and worship God and know the power and strength that comes with that life? Today, if we could be of assistance or help in that way, you need to repent of those sins and confess them. We will be happy to pray to God that forgiveness will be yours. May I say, if there's any way we can help in these ways, we want to invite and encourage you to come. Brother Larry has chosen a song of encouragement. And right now, if we can help, won't you come while we stand and while we sing?